Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 11 Light Outdoors. On the mic with you, it's Tuesday. I know, I know, it's Halloween. There's going to be goobers and goblins and kids trick-or-treating and candy eating and all that kind of stuff. Don't forget the dad tax. We got to take the dad tax. That was something I totally enjoyed when I had young kids out trick-or-treating. Now, we live in the country, so we don't get very many guests. So, I like to buy candy, though, just in case a kid stops by, right? You got to be prepared. And then if they don't stop by, well, I mean, you can't take it back to the store, so you've got to dispose of it in whatever way you can. Anyway, I, I, we're not going to get into the big debate over Halloween, celebrating this, that, and the other. You, you're going to have to work it out with the Lord. That's, that's between you and the Lord. Anyway, I've got a whole other topic that I have been dying to get into. There is so much stirring. We have talked about the shift, the change, the shaking, that something's coming, that God's up to something. I've been talking about this on podcasts for over a year now, at least, maybe even longer than that, that things are shifting, that things are changing, that that, that we, we need to find ourselves in a place of readiness as, as things happen. I didn't really realize the magnitude of those statements uh, Ron and I have been watching um, uh, Free Chapel Church, or they're in Revival. Uh, it, that happens to be Pastor Jensen Franklin's ministry. He's got campuses all over creation. They're all over Georgia, the Carolinas. Even though I think there's a Free Chapel uh, out in, in um, California that's connected. He's got campuses all over the place. They do a, a school of ministry. They, they, they're, they're, and Jensen's a, I love listening to him preach. Uh, very, very powerful, powerful man of God. Well, they've been doing a series on the end times. And the last night of their series on the end times, he brought in Perry Stone, who is, uh, for lack of a better word, he's an expert on the end times. He speaks prophetically about the end times. He's dissected end time biblical counters. He's been all over in in Israel and, and fully understands and knows um, a lot of the things that most of us do not. And, and I love listening to Perry as well. And so he, they, they had service went, uh, Sunday night. That was supposed to be the end. It, the power of God fell so mightily that they decided they would carry it to Wednesday. So they carried it to Wednesday. They did Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And, and then they carried it Thursday and Friday night and decided we'll look at Sunday so they took Saturday off, and they had Sunday morning. He, he preached twice Sunday morning, and then he preached Sunday evening. And by Sunday evening service, uh, Pastor Jensen and him had decided we're going to carry it on even more. So we, Ron and I have been following along. Uh, we watched last night. We're going to watch tonight. They're going to be a revival service at Free Chapel. Pastor Perry Stone preaching uh, on Halloween. What what an incredible, <laughs> this could be powerful night. As it stands, they may end this thing tomorrow night. They're just letting the Lord do whatever it is he's, he's after. But Perry has spoken a lot about the, the things that I've spoken about, the things that, that there, you know, this rumbling, this shifting, this change was coming. And people have been talking about this shift coming for quite a while. And all of the sudden, and I didn't put two and two together until he said it, but the war that's broke out in Israel, even the war that's in Ukraine, there, there's all kinds of lining up of things. There's all kinds of prophetic things of the biblical realm that are being fulfilled day in and day out right now. 
What an exciting time to be a follower of Christ. And I'll challenge you. You better be on the right side. Listen, I got a lot of notes. I'm going to try to get through this. I'm excited about it. I want you to be excited about it. But this is titled The Next Great Awakening. Now, now we've all heard about the events that took place at Asbury University. It was a big deal a while back. It's kind of gotten quiet. These little embers drifted on the wind of the Spirit and ignited similar fires at other campuses all across our nation. There were little outbreaks of revival. Now, there's a question many, I think, have asked, was this Asbury revival real? What exactly was it? And there was a lot of controversy over some of it. But predictably, there are people on both sides. Some feel it was authentic outpouring of the Holy Spirit on students experiencing repentance and grace who were who are prompted to pray, to sing, and to praise God together. Others, maybe more skeptical, calling for a more restrained approach, worried that a rush to label the events as a revival was impulsive, and that the message that seemed to initiate the response wasn't gospelly enough. That's an interesting word. A few are even pointing out that some of those showing up to attach themselves to the event are less than credible in most circles. Always controversy. In 2015, Patrick Morley wrote an extensive article on the history of revivals, which we share in its entirety. And I'm going I'm to share this history with you today. But let me share a couple of thoughts on how Christians should approach uh, the Asbury revival or any other thing that breaks out or, or an outpouring that happens around us. I believe it's authentic at least in the hearts and minds of some of the students who are present or who were present at that time. There are many first-person accounts from people who have been personally affected. Mass delusion? Eh, maybe. Yet, it isn't, it, isn't it more likely that the Holy Spirit actually decided to engage in a powerful way with a group of young people who were engaged in a worship service? They had their sights set on worshiping the Lord, and the Holy Spirit engaged them in that. I fully believe that it was a powerful outpouring of God's presence and His Spirit based on their hunger through their worship. Madison Pierce is one person who has been there, and and I don't know this person. He's a, a Facebook friend of a friend of a friend of a friend or whoever, whoever. This is from the article I'm reading. However, we wanted to share part of a longer post he wrote about his experience that gives insight into how we might view this event. Madison wrote this about the Asbury Revival. I find it interesting that God would mark this outpouring with a tangible sense of peace for a generation with unprecedented anxiety. A restorative sense of belonging for a generation amidst an epidemic of loneliness. An authentic hope for a generation marked by depression. A leadership emphasizing protective humility in relationship with power for a generation deeply hurt by the abuse of religious power. A focus on particular participatory adoration for an age of digital interaction and distraction. It feels as if God is personally meeting young adults in ways meaningful to them. That was Madison's account of how he felt about what he experienced at the Asbury Revival and how awesome of an account that is. And I believe he's very accurate. How do we respond to this outpouring and even others that we may experience? Uh, These events don't seem to have connections to um, or it do, they do seem to have connections to historic revivals. 
even at Asbury itself, but also unique attributes consist with this at, at our times. There's an article from Patrick Morley posted on June 30th of, of 2015, and it's a it's a history of the outpourings and revivals across America. So I'm going to share this with you, but I've, I found it very intriguing, very interesting. A brief history of spiritual revival and awakening in America. In describing what happened in Jonathan Edwards' Northampton, Massachusetts church in 1734, that's right, 1734, observers said it pleased God to display his free and sovereign mercy on the conversion of a great multitude of souls in a short space of time, turning them from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity to the lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy region. That's about as clear a definition as we'll ever get. During a revival, God supernaturally transforms believers and non-believers in a church, in a locale, in a region, in a nation, or in the world through a sudden, intense enthusiasm for Christianity. People sense the presence of God powerfully, Conviction, despair, contrition, uh, repentance, and prayer come easily. People thirst for God's word. Many authentic conversions occur and backsliders are renewed. Revival and awakening are generally synonyms. The larger the geographic geography of revival covers, the greater the tendency to call it an awakening. America has a deep, rich history of revivals and awakenings. The Great Awakening of 1734 through 1743. In December 1734, the first revival of historic significance broke out in Northampton, Massachusetts, where young Jonathan Edwards was pastor. After months of fruitless labor, he reported five or six people converted. One, a young woman, he wrote, she had been on the greatest company of keepers in the whole town. He feared her conversion would douse the flame, but quite the opposite took place. 300 souls converted in six months in a town of only 100 or 1,100 people. The news spread like wildfire, and similar revivals broke out in over 100 towns. Starting in Philadelphia in 1739, George Whitfield's dramatic preaching was like striking a match in an already underway awakening. An estimated 80% of Americans, America's 900,000 colonists, personally heard Whitfield preach. That's crazy. He became America's first celebrity. 80% of 900,000 colonists. We're talking about, this is the 1700s, guys. The Second Great Awakening took place 1800 to 1840. In 1800, only 1 in 15 of America's population of 5,300,000 belonged to an evangelical church. Presbyterian minister James McGreedy presided over strange spiritual manifestations in Logan County, Kentucky. The resulting camp meeting revivals drew thousands from as far away as Ohio. Reverend Gardner Spring reported that for the next 25 years, not a single month passed without news of a revival somewhere. In 1824, Charles Finney began a career that would eventually convert 500,000 to Christ. An unparalleled 100,000 were converted in Rochester, New York in 1831 alone, causing the revival to spread to 1,500 towns. By 1850, the nation's population exploded fourfold to 23 million people. 
but those connected to evangelical churches grew nearly tenfold from 7 to 13% of the population, from 350,000 to 3 million church members. They even had a businessman's revival in 1857 to 1858. In 1857, the North Dutch Church in New York City hired a businessman, Jeremiah Lamphier, to be a lay missionary. He prayed, Lord, what would you have me do? Boy, what a powerful prayer there. Concerned by the anxious faces of businessmen on the streets of New York City, Lamphier decided to open the church at noon so businessmen could come and pray. The first meeting was set for September 23rd, three weeks before the bank panic in 1857. Six attended the first week, 20 the next, and 40, and then they switched to daily meetings. Before long, all the space was taken, and other churches also began to open up for businessmen's prayer meetings. Revivals broke out everywhere in 1857, spreading throughout the United States. The world some, uh, some, sometimes called the Great Prayer Meeting Revival, an estimated one million people were added to American churches and their church roles, as many as one million of the four million existing church members also converted. We even had a revival in the Civil War. Did you realize that? It's called the Civil War Revival from 1861 to 1865. The bitter dispute over slavery thrust our nation into the deadliest war we've ever experienced. By the end, of, end 620,000 Americans lay dead, one out of every 50 of the 31 million people counted in the 1860 census. At the start of the Civil War in 1861, it seemed as though the soldiers for both sides had left their Christianity at home and gone morally berserk. By 1862, the tide turned. First among the Confederate forces, an estimated 300,000 soldiers were converted, evenly divided between the Southern and the Northern armies. Then came the urban revivals of 1875 to 1885. Just a side note about the Civil War revival. Um, Perry kind of touched on some of this history. I'd already had this message prepared, and I got excited because he began touching on some of these histories. The Civil War revival broke out because the young men on both sides of the fence, the blue and the gray, realized that they may die. There's a real possibility that they deployed into war. They may die. So they, they, a revival broke out of giving hearts to the Lord in case they died because there was such a spiritual weight that came with that at that time. The Urban Revivals, 1875 to 1885. Young businessman Dwight L. Moody participated in the Great Revival of 1857 as it swept Chicago. Moody later conducted revivals throughout the British Isles where he spoke to more than 2,500,000 people. In 1875, Moody returned home and began revivals in America's biggest cities. Hundreds of thousands were converted, and millions were inspired by the greatest soul winner of this generation, at this time, the general worldview of Americans was shifting away from a Christian consensus. Darwinism and higher criticisms were gaining traction, and Moody became the first evangelist to come under attack, accused of making religion an opiate of the masses. By the turn of the 20th century, the mood of the country was changing. Outside the church, it was the era of radio, movies, and the jazz age. World War I led to a moral letdown in the roaring 20s. When that era came to an abrupt end in October 29th of 1929, followed by the Great Depression, there was a surprisingly little interest in spiritual revival. Inside the church, a half-century-long battle raged between evangelicalism and theological liberalism, which had penetrated major denominations. 
The effect was that the 20th century revivals were more limited to scope and lacked the broad impact on society of earlier awakenings. Then revival again, 1905 to 1906. Word of the Welsh Revival of 1904 through 1905 spread to Welsh-speaking settlers in Pennsylvania in late 1904, and revival broke out. By 1905, local revivals blazed in places like Brooklyn, Michigan, Denver, uh, Shenanake, um Nebraska, North and South Carolina, Georgia, Taylor University, Yale University, and Asbury College, back in the limelight, in Wilmore, Kentucky. Billy Sunday, who became a key figure about this time, preached more than one hundred million people with an estimated one hundred or one million of more of conversions it's a hard time figuring out all them zeros the azusa street revival a little more familiar 1906 in 1906 william j seymour an african-american holiness pastor blind in one eye went to los angeles to candidate for a pastoral job but after he preached he was locked out of the second service he began prayer meetings in a nearby home, and the Spirit of God, which they finally called the second blessing, fell after many months of of concerted prayer. Eventually, the interracial crowds became so large, they acquired a dilapidated Methodist church at 312 Azusa Street, where daily meetings continued for three years. The resulting Pentecostal movement and the later Charismatic movement, which both exploded worldwide in the 20th century, both traced their roots to the revival at Azusa Street. The post World War, war the uh, post World War II awakening, after World War II in 1947 and 1948, Pentecostals experienced two strands of an awakening: one, the Latter Rain revival, and the other, the Healing revival. Large numbers of evangelicals also experienced revival, resulting in many conversions. It was at this time that the great generation of Christian leaders emerged. Bill Bright began Campus Crusade for Christ. In 1949, Billy Graham's distinguished career, which popularized evangelical Christianity for a new generation, exploded on the scene during his Los Angeles crusade, sponsored by the Christian Businessmen's Committee. An estimated 180 million people attended his nearly 400 crusades, and millions were viewed on television. College revival started as early as 1946, but when the prayer-based Wheaton College Revival of 1950 achieved national publicity, it sparked other college revivals throughout America. The charismatic renewal and and Jesus movement uh, during the late 1960s and the early 1970s, more revivals of national scope developed. The first strand was the charismatic renewal, which spread far beyond Pentecostal and holiness churches to college campuses the Catholic Church, and mainline denominations. The second strand, the widely publicized Jesus movement, emphasized turning from drugs, sex, and radical politics to taking the Bible at face value and finding Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. Not surprisingly, this revival spread to college campuses, mostly notable the 1970 Asbury College Revival in Wilmore, Kentucky, once again. Within a week, the revival had spread throughout the entire country. In 1976, America elected a born-again president, and evangelicalism has continued to prosper from then to now. In the midst of that, this Jesus movement is where the movie just came out, Jesus Revolution, and, and there's a pastor noted in that movie that's still preaching in California today. Uh, incredible movement of God that never has stopped. The mid-1990s revival, despite the widespread specul- secularization of society since the cultural revolution that began in the late 1960s. In the mid-1990s, God once again brought a series of revivals 
mostly to charismatic and Pentecostal groups. In 1994, it was the Toronto Blessing, and 1995 ushered in the Melbourne Revival on Florida's Space Coast, the Modesto Revival, and the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, Florida, which recorded 100,000 conversions in two years. College revivals swept across America, starting at Howard Payne University in Brownwood, Texas, under the preaching of Henry Blackberry, a Southern Baptist man. The Promise Keepers revival, the most publicized in the mid-1990s. Revivals began in 1991, and then 4,200 men descended upon the University of Colorado to be challenged to live up to their faith. In 1993, 50,000 men assembled from every state and 16 nations in the following years. Stadium events were conducted in cities throughout the United States. A spirit of revival and transformation swept across America as millions of men attended these meetings. The revival reached its zenith on October 4th of 1997 as one million or more men gathered on the National Ball in Washington, D.C. I was a part of that. I was at Washington, D.C. on October 4th of 1997. I experienced it. I stood right there in the midst of that million-man march, and I watched God move mightily in that place in Washington, D.C. By the close of 2000, Promise Keepers reported 5 million had attended 100 conferences, an additional 1 million men had been impacted since. What a powerful time. In, in the process of the Brownsville Revival, the church that I attended uh, got connected with a church in Smithton, Missouri, right out in the middle of a cornfield, little old podunk town. Steve and Kathy Gray were pastoring a little country church there. That country church exploded. That town exploded. God exploded there. Uh, Steve and Kathy Gray actually had to move their operation to Kansas City, where they still today operate World Revival Center in Kansas City. Look it up, Pastor Steve and Kathy Gray. I've been there. I took my youth leaders from Farmington to Mexico uh, when I was youth pastoring there, and we took a road trip from Farmington to Mexico to Kansas City. That's not an easy road trip to do, I'll assure you. Well, we packed a van, we pulled a trailer, and we headed off to Kansas City. We got to experience things there. We got to experience the, the IHOP, International House of Prayer. What a powerful time we had there. And then we went to a meeting with Stephen Kathy Gray and experienced the first night of service in their new facility at World Revival Church. Wasn't even finished yet, but we got to be a part of the very first service. Powerful, powerful stuff. Our church was in revival from Stephen Kathy Gray. We got connected. I, we were a part of that time of the Brownsville movement. Uh, two and a half years, we did five services a week. We saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in Stillwater, Oklahoma, uh, encounter God in a way they'd never experienced before. And I'm talking life-changing encounters. Uh, there's story after story comes out of there, including my own. God does some crazy things in the midst of his revivals. Here's 10 characteristics. I'm going to try to hurry here. I've almost done. Bear with me. There's 10 characteristics of revival. Each revival or awakening leaves its own heat signature. So in 1740, youth led the way. In 1857, businessmen and prayer took center stage. And then the 1906 Azusa Street revival, it was decidedly interracial. Yet all share common themes. What are the most frequently mentioned characteristics of revivals and awakenings that we see in literature today? One, Timing. Revivals emerge during times of spiritual and moral decline, which leads to intense prayer. Where are we today? Are we in a place of, of moral decline, spiritual decline? I believe we are. And there's an intensity in our prayer time now. For God, we need you desperately. Secondly, prayer. 
God puts a longing in the hearts of many to pray for revival. I believe that's where we are today. I hear more people talking about, God, we need revival than I ever have before. Thirdly, the Word. The preaching or reading of God's Word brings deep conviction and desire for Christ. Scripture, it's God's Word. He's breathing it in. We desperately need His Word. We need His teaching. Uh, Perry Stone's preaching these nights at Jensen Franklin's church. He's just sharing the Word. He's sharing history. He's sharing how the Word impacts people. He's sharing how the world, Word impacts our world today. And it's it, he's not yelling, screaming. He's not begging. People are by the thousands are coming to the altars in these services. The Holy Spirit is forth. The Holy Spirit takes people to a spiritual depth they could not achieve on their own. We've been teaching on the Holy Spirit every Wednesday night. Join us on Wednesday nights for our, our teachings on the Holy Spirit. Fifth, conviction. Affected sinners are in, inconsolably except in Christ. It's conviction, not condemnation. Whole different word there. But, but conviction is affecting sinners. And, and they're inconsolable except in the presence of Christ. Number six, glory for God. God receives praise, honor, and glory for bringing revival. It's all Him. It's all His power doing everything. Seventh, reformation and renewal. Revival produces lasting fruit. New ministries are founded and society experiences a reform of morals as more and more people convert. It's renewal. It's reformation. Number eight is manifestations. Manifestations like fainting, groaning in prayer, the miracles vary by culture and denomination. Listen, in the times I've spent in the revival movement, uh, when, when we were a part of that Brownsville movement, whatever you want to call it, I saw things that did not make any sense. I unfortunately saw some dog and pony show too. But I saw people encounter God in ways I had never seen before. And it was, it was truth. I encountered God in ways I had never seen before. And it was powerful. Yes, I understand people take advantage of these types of things. But when the manifest presence of God falls, your human body is going to respond, I guarantee you. Number nine, messy. Revivals are messy. Their controversies swirl about miracles, abuses, excesses, suspicions, theological disputes. It goes on and on and on. Revivals are messy, but they mess people up and they move them from a moral decay to an experience and encounter with a holy God. Tenth is cyclical. Revivals inevitably crest and decline. It's it's cycle. It 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 comes, it ebbs and it flows. It's like our ocean. There there's a tide, but listen, I believe that tide is coming in. I believe the power of God is moving. I believe it's stirring people up to a move of God. I believe we're gonna see the timing, the prayer, the word, the Holy Spirit, the conviction, the glory for God, the reformation and renewal, the manifestations, even the messy part. It's cycling back now. Is America ripe for revival today? I believe so. A majority of American believers, uh, our country is going downhill. I would agree to that. Our, our country is going downhill. We're in a tailspin. Yet church attendance as a percent of population is held fairly steady. COVID has taken a whack on that. But, but we've held fairly steady since the 1990s and probably since 1940. Given the state of moral and spiritual decay, it's hard to understand how that's possible. The answer is actually very simple today. Christianity is prevalent it's just not powerful. Let me say that again. Why is all this going on? Christianity's prevalent, 
Everybody and their dog calls themselves a Christian today, but it lacks power. We we call ourselves Christians, but we live in a secular way. We live in a worldly world, and we've tied ourselves to those worldly things. We lack spiritual power. The solution, spiritual revival and awakening. We've not had an awakening in America in a historic proportion for a long, long time. With such a great tradition of revival and awakening, a great base from which to start, and a great need to counteract the increasing moral and spiritual decline, our nation appears ripe for a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit. I believe we've seen the beginnings. I I believe it started in Asbury. It flowed into those other colleges. Those may have dimmed the fire for the moment, but fires are picking up. It's just like this breaking out at Free Chapel. They've been going now for over a week. Unprecedented altar calls. Unprecedented crowds pressing into that church. Listen, it's not a dog and pony show. It's simple truth. They're laying it out there. It's great worship. The power of God's moving. I, I encourage you, tune in. You can find Free Chapel on YouTube and watch the live service with Perry Stone. Incredible, incredible. We're, we're watching them as, as many of them as we can. We're going back and picking up the ones that we haven't been able to see. But history tells us that national revivals and awakenings cannot be manufactured. You can't make this happen. You can't plan for it to happen. You can, you can plan for a guest speaker to come, but it still has to be the power of God, the sovereign act and the sovereign mercy of God and the grace of God himself when he supernaturally achieves in a short span what seems otherwise impossible. God loves to respond to the prayers of his people if we get hungry, if we get thirsty for him, if we get desperate for a move of God corporately, and we, the body of Christ, begin to call out for him, we're going to see more and more and more of these revival outpourings, these awakenings, these reformations, these renewals of his spirit in this place. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. You understand what that says? If my people who are called, we're all called by his name. If we will humble ourselves, if we will pray, if we will seek his face, quit seeking his hand. Most of the time today, all we do is seek a handout from God. He wants us to seek his face. Listen, When we seek his face and we have his gaze upon us, when God's gaze can come upon us, we're in his favor. You understand what that means? When you're in God's favor, all kinds of things can happen on your behalf. But it has to be that we seek his face and that we turn from our wicked ways. God can't look upon sin. You got sin in your life. You got to get rid of it. You got to repent. Then he can gaze upon you. And he says, then. If we will do all of these things, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sin and I'll come and heal your land. God, we need our land healed today. We need your presence. We need your favor. We need your spirit. God, I pray that this people will find themselves humbled, praying to you, seeking your face, turning away from our wicked ways so that you can fulfill the promises that you desire for your people. While the decision belongs to God alone, He gives us the privilege of hastening the day through humble, repentant prayer. Let us begin to pray for a great awakening in this very hour. So desperately do we need the power of God in this nation, in this world today. He is our only hope. We must seek Him. 
with everything we have in us. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for staying with me through all this length. I know there's a lot of notes to get through, but man, I'm excited. I'm fired up. I'm excited to see what God's going to do with all of this. And I pray that you'll listen carefully to what's being spoken here. It's up to us. This move of spirit, this, this awakening that needs to happen in our nation is up to us the followers of Christ, the believers, those who call themselves disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not even going to use the label Christian because it's so washed out today. I'm talking about born again, followers, Holy Spirit-filled, fire-breathing, tongue-talking. If you ain't there, you need to get there. Those are the ones who are going to usher in this next awakening, this, this renewal, this reformation, this power of God that will only come through a hungry nation, through a hungry people. Are you hungry today? God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for your support. Thank you for praying for Rhonda and I. Please continue to do so. We're in the thick of it. We're in the heat of the battle. We're on the front line. We're fighting for for God's power and his presence on a daily basis. Join us on this journey. Amen. It's exciting. I'm excited. I hope you are as well. God bless you. We love you. We're praying for you. We'll talk to you again real soon.